bow our heads. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to worship you with everything that we have. Our souls, spirits, and bodies desire to just join together in worship and adoration of who you are and how great you are. We realize, Father, that so often we just neglect the recognition and worship of God the Holy Spirit. And so we just pray that you would remove the scales from our eyes once again, Father, that we can see your glory and your majesty as it is manifest in the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, make him as a person real in our very beings. We know that he exists there. You've promised that he would dwell within us. But Father, we just pray that somehow through the messages that we have already had, the messages of song, joining together with the spirit within us, bearing witness, we would truly feel and know that we are sons of God. Thank you for the wonderful promises in your word. Just pray that you would anoint my lips and my heart this day as we bring this message to the waiting people. And I know and admit, confess before you, Father, that I need this message as much, if not more, than anyone that's in this room. Have your own way, Lord, in our lives through this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I do have a... To the right before 10.15. Okay. I like to review things a little bit in my own mind just for clarification and, and just to uh, get reoriented. So I want to just uh, share with you again, our intent of course is to know God the Holy Spirit, to really know Him. Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. Knowing God involves not only knowing Jesus Christ, the Savior, and knowing God the Father, but knowing God the Holy Spirit. That is our fervent desire this day and as we go through this series of messages. I've mentioned to you already that I was kind of giving this a subheading or a subtitle of, of the glorious ministration or the glorious ministry of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, His ministry is glorious, as is all of God Himself. I shared with you five objectives that we had. I want to review those again just to kind of stay in focus. What is this all about? What are we after? We want a clearer understanding of the person of the Holy Spirit, a clearer understanding of Him, number one. Number two, a fresh appreciation of the Holy Spirit's ministry, just really appreciating Him for who He is. Number three, a heightened sensitivity to the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's there. God has promised. He's there in our lives. He's there within us. We want to have that, that sensitivity to His presence there. Number four, a growing desire to please Him and not to grieve Him. 
And number five, a greater dependence upon him that will transform our lives. If we trust in him, lean upon him, let him have his way, uh, it will transform our lives. This is the second of five messages that I was asked to share. And those messages are really based upon six specific promises that Jesus gave regarding the coming of the Holy Spirit. The first one we've spoken on is com was combined together as a teacher and a guide. A promise that he would be a teacher, a promise that he would be our guide. The one that I'm going to share with you today under the power of the Holy Spirit is that he will testify of Jesus. The third one in this series is that he will reprove the world. The fourth one is that he will show you things to come. And last of all, the fifth one is he will glorify Jesus. You may already have been surprised along with me at the number of appearances of the Holy Spirit on the pages of Holy Scripture. But in some conversation with you as well as previous conversation with others, the, the features came up that, well, I just didn't see it there. I just didn't notice it until you drew attention to it or until uh, somehow it was brought to my attention. It seems like as we read the Scriptures, we can come across uh, passages of Scripture that refer to Jesus, and we see it there. And we usually stop, slow down, and, and get the message that the Scripture has about Jesus. Same way with God the Father. When the mention in the Scripture of God the Father is there on the holy pages of Scripture, we see it there, we acknowledge it for what it is, and we get the message. But somehow it seems like we just breeze across mention of the Holy Spirit. I did just a little bit of a word search just to uh, get an idea in my own mind of, of his appearance or the appearance of this, the Holy Spirit, mention of him in Scripture. I've shared with you already uh, a lot of the names that he has mentioned. I want to just mention again just to get an idea on the appearance in Scripture of how many times he appears as the Holy Ghost. Ninety times in Scripture the words Holy Ghost appear as one of his names. Only seven times he is mentioned as Holy Spirit. 172 times just the word Spirit with a capital S. 31 times Spirit of the Lord. And 26 times Spirit of God. There are many other times in Scripture that I believe the Holy Spirit is referred to, but the translators chose not to use a capital S. So you kind of have to watch for that. It seems to me like the times when they knew positively that this mentioned this word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, where we get our word for pneumatic, like pneumatic tools, referring to things from an air compressor and things like that. When they came across that word pneuma and they knew positively that it was referring to God the Holy Spirit, they put a capital S on it. Other times it may not have been quite as clear or it may, it could have been referring to both the Spirit of God and the Spirit of man. So it doesn't have a capital S on it in some of those instances. So I think it's important for us as Bible students as we want to learn more 
about God the Holy Spirit, that we just be looking for that. Stop, slow down, pay attention. Is this talking about the Spirit of God? And what is the message in connection with it? What is the blessing associated with that? What is the promise that is there in that passage of Scripture? I started with a new Bible not very long ago, and I decided that, that okay, in this study of the Holy Spirit, I am going to mark this Bible um, with every time I come across a passage that refers to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to underline it. You can do as you like, but I find that that's very helpful to me and perhaps uh, will cause a greater worship in my own life of the Holy Spirit as well as a greater yieldedness to His power in my life. I'd like to give an illustration here of something that because we are interested in what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, I want to use an illustration this way. I would like you to imagine that you're going in for a job interview and there is a, a list of things that would be your job. If you're hired for this job, here's your job description. And there's nine things that are listed there that you're expected to do if you're hired for this job. And you look over that list of nine things and you think, yeah, I can do that. I, I think I'm qualified for that. And I can do this one. And you look down through all nine and sure enough, it looks like you have the qualifications for that. And then after you agree that, yes, you think you're qualified for that, the one that is interviewing you for that job says, well, there's one catch to this. You can't use your fingers, you can't use your hands, you can't use your arms, you can't use your legs, your lips, or your mouth to accomplish these nine tasks. You'd think, what is going on here? Uh, this doesn't sound like anything I can do. And you would be right, because we are used to using our bodies to accomplish tasks in life. I'm going to I've got a list here of 34 jobs that the Holy Spirit does. These are all out of Scripture. I'm not going to read all 34 of them. I realize that it can become quite tedious if I list all 34 of them. But just to get a sampling of some of the things that the Holy Spirit does so that we can appreciate Him more and be more yielded to Him, I'm going to give you a list of nine things that He does. He strengthens. He regenerates, He sanctifies, He distributes gifts, some of these we've had before, He teaches, He guides into all truth, He quickens, He writes, and He baptizes. That's just nine out of 34. There may be more. Now, I'm going to share with you in, in my study what I would consider the most amazing fact about the Holy Spirit. Now, you, this isn't out of Scripture. This is just simply the way it strikes me in my study. You may come up with, I like to think about facts and I like to think about amazing facts. And okay, even listing them. What is the most amazing fact about the Holy Spirit? 
To me, the most amazing fact about the Holy Spirit is that he accomplishes not just these nine tasks, but 34 or more. He does that without a body of his own. He is a spirit. He is totally a spirit. And so when I mentioned the job description, those nine tasks that you might ask to, be, to do in your occupation, the Holy Spirit accomplishes those without a body of his own. That's pretty awesome to think about, isn't it? But there is another implication with that. Two other implications, really. I would say the second most amazing fact about the Holy Spirit is that he dwells in tabernacles of clay. That's what we are. We're just, just dirt and water mixed together, and that makes clay. And the fact that God chooses to dwell, to place his life, his spirit, within tabernacles of clay, I list that as the second most amazing fact about the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to tie those two together. You can maybe even guess what the third most amazing fact is on my list. And that is that God chooses to do His work of the Holy Spirit. A lot of that is that He chooses to do inside these tabernacles of clay. That He actually does it. He actually accomplishes His work. The ministry of the Holy Spirit works in and through us. So we can put all this together in our minds and realize, well, this is why God chooses to put His Holy Spirit within us, that His work might be accomplished. And so, of course, that leads on to a whole lot of other subjects about the Holy Spirit, such as, okay, so the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Now, how is that going to get from a power that is within to something that actually takes place. One of the labels that the Bible has on it is called filled with the Spirit. We've heard some about that. We may hear more about that. That's not my subject this morning. But I believe that when the Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit, it simply means being controlled by the Spirit. So here we've got God the Holy Spirit dwelling within. We've got a body that He can use, control. So what's going to happen? There's, here's something that God can work with and God can get glory. And that is what God deserves and that's what God created us for. The Bible says Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created with, for God's pleasure God placed His Holy Spirit within us for His pleasure. That outworking of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is for His pleasure. Well, let's go on to our subject this morning of the Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus. This is another promise. You can open your Bibles to John Chapter 15. Verses 26 and 27. John 15 verses 26 and 27. I'll read that. 
But when the Comforter is come, these are the words of Jesus, and this is a promise. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Very clear, very plain promise of Jesus connected with his leaving this world. The Comforter will come. He will send him. He proceeds from the Father. He is the Spirit of truth, absolute truth, no falsehood, no lies, no half-truths, no partial truths, absolute truth. He proceeds from the Father and he shall testify of me. Verse 27, And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. What we have here in these two verses is some legal terms. There are some terms that apply to a court of law. They apply to things like uh, a legal transaction or legal proceedings where something is on trial or someone is on trial. There is something that is up in a court of law and there needs to be testimony given. There needs to be witnesses called in and given give their witness of something. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be called in as a witness to testify of Jesus. And why is that necessary? It's fascinating to me, and I never noticed this before this study, is the context that Jesus gave this is in the context of his description of the world. Believers in the world. Let's just pick a sampling here of this context. It actually begins in about verse 12 of this chapter and down through verse 25. But let's just look at verses 18 and 19, for example. The context of Scripture is extremely important as we study it. So when you've come across a little passage of Scripture... In your reading or in your memorization or whatever, it's extremely important that you stop and look what's on either side of that. Remember, this wasn't broken into chapters when it was spoken or written. So what's on either side of that? Let's just look here, verses 18 and 19. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, Therefore, the world hateth you. That is the context. As Jesus was sending his disciples out into the world, he was warning them, the world is going to hate you. This is not a friendly world that I'm sending you out into. And it's not a friendly world in 2015 either. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a world that hates Jesus. They may treat us kindly now, but worldwide, the world hates Jesus. And the reason for that is because Satan himself is the prince of the power of this world. He is the controlling power 
of the world system today. And because of that, that world system is under the evil one, Jesus said. And the world will hate us. And the world hates Jesus. And Satan hates Jesus. It's in that context that we have a, a courtroom setting. A setting where there needs to be testimony brought in about Jesus. Let's look at this again. The last part of verse 26 says, He shall testify of me. Now not only He, the Holy Spirit, is going to testify of Jesus, but it's interesting, interesting Jesus' words, He says, And ye also shall bear witness. So we've got two testimonies here in the world. We've got the testimony of the Holy Spirit and we've got the testimony of ye also. And who is that? What label can we put on ye also? The best label I think the Bible uses is disciples. Ye also, disciples, shall bear witness of me. You're going to bear testimony as well in this courtroom of the world. You're going to bear testimony. You're going to bear witness. That would be a pretty daunting task to think about if we were doing this on our own. But we've already established the fact clearly. God's word makes it very clear that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So we've got the Holy Spirit, we might say, in the context of the world and the ways in which he te gave testimony of Jesus. And then we also, as disciples, indwelt by the Spirit, bear testimony of him. So what do we do with this? It says, he will testify of Jesus. He shall testify of me. I think it's important to establish another foundational truth based upon taking all the scripture together. We can make this absolute positive statement that everything that you know and everything that you will know about Jesus Christ is a result of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. From cover to cover, we know that this Bible is God-breathed. Paul writes to Timothy and says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that God breathed it. God breathed the Scriptures from cover to cover. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto every good work, or all good works. So everything that we know or will know about Jesus is by and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can bank on that. We can count on that. So as we come across passages of Scripture that tell us about Jesus? What is happening here? The Holy Spirit is highlighting or spotlighting. He's shining this brilliant light of inspiration upon the person of Jesus Christ. And He's saying, don't pay attention to Me, the Holy Spirit. See Christ. See Jesus. View Him. Worship Him. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he testifies of Jesus. 
We want to turn to some scripture that would give us some further support of this. Let's turn back to First uh, Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, I think I'll begin reading in verse 9. I'm still breaking into a thought, but we'll get what we're after here. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So there is a, a subject here in this passage, and that subject is the salvation of your souls. What's God in the business of doing? He's in the business of getting glory for himself. And how does he get glory for himself? It is by the salvation of souls. Okay. It says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So these prophets that prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures were prophesying of salvation. And they, they inquired and searched diligently. They used their own intellect and their own uh, inquisitiveness and their own uh, experiences and their own talents and abilities and gifts in searching and inquiring diligently but that wasn't all when they prophesied of the grace that should come unto you remember everything all the light of sacred story the song says uh, focuses upon the head of Jesus Christ or hovers upon him Jesus is the focal point of all history. The Bible is history, his story, and it focuses upon Jesus Christ. So he is the grace that should come unto you, the salvation that comes through Jesus. Searching what or what manner of time, notice this, the Spirit of Christ, capital S in my Bible, the translators clearly recognize that while it says the Spirit of Christ, and we know that Jesus Christ is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, it did no violence for them to capitalize it and call him the Spirit of Christ, which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So if you ever wonder how people like Isaiah were able to give such a descriptive view of the cross and the crucifixion of our Lord as he wrote that, and we've heard it said, I may have said it before myself, it's almost like Isaiah was just standing right there at the foot of the cross. And he was viewing Jesus and saying, by his stripes and seeing those stripes laid upon his back there. By his stripes we were healed. It was the Spirit of Christ, Peter tells us, that was in them, that was in Isaiah. The Holy Spirit that was foreseeing this, this focal point of history when Christ, God himself, would be crucified on a cross. He saw that, prophesied of that through these prophets. So they got the message firsthand from the Spirit of Christ which was in them. When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. From their own perspective, these prophets' perspective, it would have been confusing. How in the world is this person that's going to suffer 
like this, going to be a king. How is there going to be any glory at all connected with this? I'm sure that, that in their own minds they were trying to put these pieces of the puzzle together, but the Holy Spirit had it all together, and He just used them, just used them as, as instruments, just like He uses you and I. I shouldn't say it just like that. That wasn't right. Because in Old Testament times, we've emphasized that the Holy Spirit did not permanently indwell even godly people like Isaiah as prophets. He was there and he was a presence and he came over them. And I'm not sure even if I can tell you whether he, he indwelt them for a while and, and then left them or whether he was an outward presence just kind of hovering over them as they were writing. I can't tell you that. Maybe some of you have studied that and know more about that than I do. But I do know this. There is a difference since Pentecost. Jesus clearly promised that he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He is in us now if we are born again disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of Christ was in them as they prophesied. Let's go on to verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things that are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things that angels desire to look into. So this passage is telling us that those Old Testament prophets were not really ministering unto themselves, that God had in mind a much bigger picture and he was using them to prophesy that, that even in Peter's day and even down in our day in 2015, they were ministering unto us by the Holy Spirit testifying of Jesus Christ in a hostile world. The world was hostile in the days of the prophets and it's still hostile uh, as the Satan realizes that his time is short and his wrath is ramping up, we'll say. So those that have preached the gospel unto you, and the gospel was preached then as Peter wrote it, the gospel is still being preached today, 2,000 years later, by the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Praise God. I would hate to think what it would be like to attempt to preach the gospel without the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, without the promise that not only is He, is he within me, as a gospel preacher, but he is within you as gospel students and as those that are being prepared to be sent out. Because what did he say? And ye also are witnesses. Ye also. Ye also. Let's move on here. There's some other passages of the scripture we want to go to. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. We're talking about the testimony of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would testify of Him. He will do it in a hostile world, a world that is not friendly to Jesus and a world that hates Jesus the Savior. Revelation chapter 19. John, as he received his revelation, had a little problem. 
says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That wasn't the problem. But that was a tremendous blessing for him. But I think somehow being in the spirit on the Lord's day just put him more in, in worship mode, can I say. I mean, he was just, I don't remember now how many times he had this, this problem of worshiping the wrong thing. He was just so full of worship that he at least twice fell down and worshiped an angel. And that's what we find here in this, this 19th chapter of Revelation. After an angel gave him some information, verse 10 says, And I fell at his feet. That would be the angel. I fell at his feet to worship him. You know, we probably would do the same thing if we were just so overwhelmed with the spirit of worship uh, and seeing this angelic being, this, this holy being, this, this perfect being, even though he's an angel, falling down and worshiping him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. So even though he was an angel, he was still a created being, created to, to worship and serve God. And so in that sense, he can say, I'm a fellow servant. John, you were created to worship and serve God. But John, I as an angel was also created to worship and serve God. I am a fellow servant. And I am the, of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. He had the testimony of Jesus because of the very power of the Holy Spirit even in the angelic world. He says this, Worship God. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what the spirit of prophecy is all about. It's almost like an equation or something on one side of the equation, and then you have an equal sign, and then that which is on the other side is equal. Otherwise, it don't work. You know, one plus one on one side, equal sign, two on the other side. It's an equation. That's what we see here. The testimony of Jesus equals the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy equals the testimony of Jesus. It's an equation. That's what it's all about. It's about the testimony of Jesus. It's about the spirit of prophecy. That's what they had in their hearts. That's what they were prophesying about. Hello. We have another testimony of Jesus. This was after Jesus spoke these words, but I think it's still important for us to recognize that, that the, the Holy Spirit and a vital uh, task that he has is bearing testimony to Jesus and so even at Jesus' baptism which was recorded I believe in all four gospels we have this account of Jesus himself being present and the, a cloud overshadowed them and the presence of the Holy Spirit came in the bodily shape of a dove and the voice from heaven of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. The Holy Spirit was there, bearing testimony to that as well, giving a, a visible presence for a moment in the bodily shape of a dove. Let's turn to John 
chapter 3, verse 34. Taking you through several passages of the Scripture that would give support that the Holy Spirit would testify of Jesus. John 3, verse 34. This is the words of John the Baptist as he was responding to those that, that came out uh, to him and perhaps even may have thought that he was the Messiah. He says this, I'm going to break into uh, verse 32. Actually, I think I better begin in verse 30 so we, we understand clearly that he's talking about Jesus. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And that is a good lesson for each one of us as well as we are superintended by or overcame by or controlled by or filled by the Holy Spirit, He must increase and I must decrease. But I must decrease. And we could even consider that an equation that as I decrease, He can increase in my life. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, he that testifieth, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. Now here John is speaking about testimony and witness and those kinds of things. It's in that context that he writes these words or speaks these words. For he, he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. Again referring to Jesus and it says for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. That's a very fascinating commentary on the very person of Jesus Christ and his ministry and his power. God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, the, Jesus Christ had the Holy Spirit dispense unto him in, without any limitations or measure whatsoever. So how is it with us? Is the Spirit given by measure unto us? I'm not sure I can answer that question, but I'd like you to think about this. I am sure of this one thing, that the amount of, of the manifestation of the Spirit in my own life has a lot to do with how empty I am of myself in order for the Spirit to fill me. Maybe that's a big part of the, maybe I shouldn't say maybe, that is a big part of the Christian walk of life and being filled with the Spirit is emptying ourselves of ourselves. I believe that's a lot of what we are together here over these days at this Bible school as we are learning to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ as this is a discipleship school as we are learning to lean upon Jesus, we are learning to empty ourselves of ourselves that He can fill us. Think about that. 
God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. That is the testimony of God's word about the person of Jesus Christ and about the very power of the Spirit of Christ within him. I'm going to have to hurry on here to accomplish some of the goals and reach my time, uh, allotted time here. There was another time when you'll read this in John chapter 20, verse 22. Uh, it reads like this, And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. There again, I believe, is another testimony that the Holy Spirit is giving on Jesus himself because as the Word of God has recorded it, Jesus was able to breathe. Just breathe out air. And as he breathed out air, he said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. I'm not sure I can put all that together. This was before Pentecost. Maybe he was giving them a foretaste of what it was going to be like to be fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I don't know. We can go on as we find other accounts in the Scripture of the testimony of Jesus uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when Stephen was martyred, we have an account there that Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost. And it was as he was filled with the Holy Ghost and he looked up toward heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I'm not quoting that exact, but G Stephen, as he was martyred, was filled with the Holy Ghost, and in that way, he, what did he do? He just shone the spotlight on Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit was just using him and using his body and his mouth and his words and just pointing to Jesus and saying, there he is. And it didn't matter if the stones came. It didn't matter. Because he was about to be glorified, changed, moved out of this world into a place of rest. We have other accounts given in the courtroom of this hostile world. And certainly that stoning of Stephen was a clear demonstration of the hostile world. We see the testimony of Jesus as uh, Philip was given words by the Holy Spirit. As Philip was in a certain place and God arranged the circumstances for this eunuch to be riding along in his chariot. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and says, join thyself to this chariot. And then what does it say after that? It tells us that Philip obeyed. And he went in and got beside this eunuch in this chariot. And he was reading in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. You know the account of how he asked, asked the eunuch if he understood what he reads. And he said, how can I accept some man guide me? And boom, what did he do? The Bible says that Philip preached unto him Jesus. The spotlight was on Jesus by Philip being filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to go on to another courtroom because I think this is really where the rubber meets the road in our lives. 
This is where each one of us need to, to realize that ye also are witnesses. That's what Jesus was saying. There's the testimony of the Holy Spirit as we've given some accounts of that. Many others could be turned to. But I want to consider for a little bit the courtroom of our own hearts. And the reason for that is because there, we are on trial. There is a trial that is going on. There is an accuser of the brethren. And the Bible clearly states that he accuses them before God day and night. So we need to be equipped with the testimony of Jesus in this courtroom of our own hearts. Because that's really where it takes place. Yeah, we can be called before magistrates and we can be uh, called before others. It may be, Christianity may be declared to be illegal in the United States of America and all that may happen. But right now, the real trial is right here within our own hearts. Peter writes about the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold which perisheth. What's going on here? I believe the trial of our faith is just simply the question, what, why is gold even tried? Why is gold even put in the fire? It's put in there and tested to be sure it's pure gold. And any dross that's there, anything that's there that's impure, needs to be refined out. We're on trial. Our hearts are on trial. Is our faith really genuine? Is the person that we are believing in worthy of the, being the object of our faith? These are some things that, that the enemy is, is bombarding us with questions. I believe a large part of being equipped for the work of the ministry is, is being equipped with a faith that is built up and strengthened by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Is our faith founded on the right person? Think about it this way. Everything that we know about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is from His Word. We have that testimony of the Word of God. Remember what the Bible makes it clear? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. God ordained that a person would not be condemned under the mouth of only one witness. There needs to be at least two witnesses, preferably three or more. So as we consider, as we consider our own hearts on trial, we need some witnesses to bear testimony to this fact that our faith is real, it is genuine, and it is founded upon the right thing. We have the testimony of the Word of God. That which we know to be true from the Word of God. And so that is why it's so extremely important. We have a little song that we sing about the Spirit teaching by the Word. What's he doing? He's taking that word of truth and anointing that truth in our hearts and saying this is a testimony. Yes, this Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, this Jesus upon whom you are basing your faith not only is the Son of God, but he did die. He died a sacrificial death. 
And He rose again the third day. And He ascended up to the Father. And the Father gave His stamp of approval that His sacrifice was perfect for the sins of the whole world. And we're basing our faith upon that. That's what God's Word says. The Holy Spirit anoints that truth in our hearts and says, this is true. This is faith-worthy. You can believe in this. You can bank on this. You can count on this. You can trust your life with this. The Holy Spirit is the, te- is the second establishment of truth. Besides the truth of the Word of God, we have the second testimony of the Holy Spirit Himself. Let's turn to some scriptures that would support that. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 4. Let's begin reading in verse 4. I'd like to read earlier, but I'll save time by breaking in here in verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So what is the subject here so far? The subject is the Son. And why was He sent? God sent forth His Son. Why was He sent? Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. So one aspect of our salvation is the redemption that comes by the Lord Jesus Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law and those that were under the law and bringing us into a state of adoption as children of God. And look at verse 6. Here it is. Here's the second witness. Here's the second testimony of Jesus Christ. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Praise God for that. Because you are sons and because you are daughters of of God Himself, He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son in your hearts. Believe that. Believe that testimony of God's Word and believe that testimony that His Spirit is in your hearts. There is more. Just mark that in your Bible because the accuser of the brethren is going to accuse you. He is going to... There's going to be times in your life as it is in mine when I don't act like a son of God. I don't live up to who I am in Jesus Christ. And the accuser of the brethren comes along. And we hear it. We feel it. This is the Word of God and this is the testimony of two witnesses. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. You was expecting this, I imagine. Those of you that have memorized Romans 8. We need the testimony of, of some witnesses, don't we? Not only in the world, but also those testimony of the witnesses in our own heart. Verse 16 of Romans 8. Actually, I should begin reading in verse 14. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have, ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So that Holy Spirit, that's one of His names, is the spirit of adoption. The spirit that, that comes into our hearts and, and makes us feel and know that we are adopted. And because of that, we can cry out, Papa, Father, the most endearing term that you can ever think about to use for a father, we can use it. And we can use it safely and genuinely. The Spirit itself, Himself, would be perhaps a little better translation. The Spirit Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, there's that inner witness again. We saw yesterday, reminded that God's Word clearly teaches us that man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Paul prayed to the Thessalonians, for the Thessalonians that their whole body, soul, and spirit would be preserved, preserved blameless under the day of redemption. That spirit, that, that inner core, that centermost part of our being, the Holy Spirit is right there bearing witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Praise God for that. What a blessing. What a tremendous blessing that we have with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He confirms our position as a child of God. The Spirit is our assurance that the adoption was genuine, that it wasn't a fake or a faulty or, or some uh, wrong names exchanged here or some tr something went wrong with the transaction or the adoption. The Spirit bears witness that this adoption is genuine. We are sealed with the Spirit, the Bible tells us. He is the earnest of the Spirit. It is spoken of in, in 1 Corinthians. Until the redemption of the purchased possession. He's a down payment. That's what the earnest means. He's a down payment. He's a deposit that God has made. Saying, yes, you are my child. You've been bought by the precious blood of the Lord, my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been bought, you've been purchased. Here's the down payment. And God is saying, I'm following through with the rest of the transaction when you are glorified. The Bible tells us that we are given the Spirit of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. That is why He is indwelling us as well that we might know, perhaps that's a part of Him bearing witness with our spirits, to know the things that are freely, freely given, given without a cause, without any, any, thing, any merit on our part. We might know those things because of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. You, you might want to write these scriptures down because I'm not turning to them. The first one that I, when I referred to the earnest of the Spirit was 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It's good to get these things underlined in our Bibles because we need them. This is a testimony of God's Word about the very power of the, of the work of Christ as well as the Holy Spirit in our own lives. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And I want to turn to, for the last passage of Scripture, and my time is up, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Wherefore, I give, this is in the context of the study of spiritual gifts. Remember that's some of the things that the Holy Spirit does. Part of his job description is giving gifts. A complete study in its own. We could spend a week here talking about that. But he says in verse 3, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. That Holy Ghost that dwells within us gives us the power and the right to declare Jesus is Lord. That is a, is a tremendous statement that we can make. And I think we ought to be declaring it more often. Declaring it before angels and before devils and before men that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He is Lord of all. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our testimony. Praise God that He has given us the very presence of His Spirit within us that we can declare that. But do you realize what goes along with that? When we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, what are we saying? We are saying that He is our Master and that everything that He says we will do under the power of the Holy Spirit, we will attempt to do that. Because Jesus said this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? He implies with that that our great responsibility is under the Lordship of Jesus that we do His bidding. He is our Lord. He is our Master. There was a discussion that took place. Uh, I believe you find this back in... Uh, I believe it's John 8 or John 12. I don't remember which. When there were some that walked away and continued not with him anymore. But Jesus said this. He said, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. That is the real test of lordship, is if we continue in his word. So we can just praise God. We can thank God that we can call him Lord. We can... Acknowledge Him as Lord by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that same power of the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to live lives that are obedient to Him, that want to serve Him, that want to please Him, and empowers us for His glory and for His praise. We're just praise God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit as He shall testify of Jesus Christ. God bless you.